Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Good to see all of you. Is everybody awake? All right. Amen. Amen. Twelve weeks ago, we started a journey as a church. We drove into, uh, or dove into what is considered, I guess we drove into it a little bit, but we dove into what is considered one of, the, if, if, one of what is considered, if not the greatest, one of the greatest teachings ever taught by human, any human at any time. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you know, we spent three months going over each concept in our Sunday morning sermons as well as our nine weeks of life groups and really just taking a fresh look at uh, all that Jesus taught in these three chapters. We've covered a lot of territory. And remember, I, I want you to remember the people that Jesus first spoke these things to. It's very important that you think about who Jesus is speaking to in the Word of God or who uh, Moses is speaking to or who's ever speaking or whoever heard, first heard the Scriptures that were being uh, 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 spoken at that time. It's important that you think about that because it, it really brings out meaning and brings out a lot of understanding. But these people were an oppressed people. They were the Jewish nation, a nation that was not only an ethnicity, but they were also a religious group and still are in some cases. Very, they're very unique. And they lived in a difficult situation where the Roman Empire oppressed them politically, while at the same time their religious leaders oppressed them with their own religion. And these people heard Jesus speak, and they realized he was different than anyone they had ever heard before. You can almost hear the chains falling off them as he spoke such liberating words. He wasn't speaking to appeal to the political or the religious leaders. He spoke to the heart of the individual. And I, I, I love that about the Sermon on the Mount. He goes right for the heart, and we've talked about this week after week. He goes right for the heart, the issues of the heart even. And instead of legalistic do's and don'ts, he began to lay out the foundation for the new covenant, which of course includes that personal relationship with God that we, most of us in here enjoy so much. You know, he, we started off week one with the Beatitudes, blessed or happy, or the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. These are the Beatitudes. Then we got into week two. We talked about anger and how when we hold it, we hold on to it, especially towards our brothers or sisters in Christ. This thing has given us fits, isn't it? We're going to shut it off, and I'm going to go to the handheld. Somewhere in Germany, someone's running their microwave, and it's causing interference with my mic. So that's what that is. Either that or it's the local uh, uh, Latino radio station that has a very strong signal, and it's... Uh, Oftentimes we get a little, little uh, you know, mariachi bands going on here, and it's kind of fun. Hey, they can praise the Lord pretty good. I love that. But we got into anger and how, when we hold on to it, Jesus said it was the same as murder. We talked about over-desires and lust 
and how adultery is more than just a sin of physical behavior, it's a sin of the heart. And how Jesus said, if a man even looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. He went right for the jugular on these things. He went right for the heart. Then we covered the difficult subject of divorce and remarriage and the confusion and misunderstandings that go along with these situations. Week five, we covered retaliating against the, our enemies and getting even with those that hurt us. And Jesus clearly taught that we were to turn the other cheek, to offer them our cloak as well when they steal from us. In the weeks to follow, we covered giving, fasting, praying, and how we should be practicing these important things. Jesus gave us a great lesson on anxiety and worry after that, and how we don't need to let those things control us. We have a loving Father who knows how to take care of us. We've covered Jesus' words on judging others. What a, what a difficult but important message for the church today. Even the golden rule, do unto others, and as, and as you would have them do unto you, was first taught by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. We've covered all these things. In our life groups, we, we covered so many subjects as well, from how we are supposed to be salt and light, to having healthy boundaries, to loving your enemies. Pastor Guy did a life group video on the Lord's Prayer, which is a major part of the Sermon on the Mount. I know we covered seeking first the kingdom of God, and Larry Perry even taught on Jesus' words regarding the wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow gate that leads to life. And last week, we got back into the subject of judging a bit by going over what Jesus taught about checking the fruit on the trees of those that minister to us and those that we associate with, and even turning our focus to ourselves and being self-aware of the good and bad fruit we are producing within our own lives. And this morning, I, I purposely wanted just to give you a quick overview of the last 11 weeks. I hope that didn't bore you. That was very fast. Because of what Jesus says at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount. It's like all this that he's talked about that we've gone over for the last 12 weeks in life group and in, on Sunday morning sermons. All of it, and you can find it all online if you missed one. He takes all of that and then he says this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And this is our last week in this series. But he says this. These are the last words he says on the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So here are some thoughts for you to consider from Jesus' words here as he kind of wraps up, he sums up the whole thing. He says, listen to all these words and apply them, and you're like a wise man, right? Don't apply them, hear them, don't apply them, don't live up to them, and you're gonna be like a man who, a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. But I wanted to get into the scripture a little bit and just pull out a couple of things. Number one, I think it's very clear that Jesus puts people into two categories here, and he says, we're all builders. We're all builders. We're either good ones or bad ones, wise ones or foolish ones, but we are all builders. He compares us all to builders here. He puts everyone into, these category, into this category, or one of two categories. You're either, again, a wise builder or a foolish builder. Our lives are like houses, church. Houses that we are building. And we must understand that even though we have a savior who is the master builder working in our lives, we are still very much involved 
in our own construction. God has given us free will. Hear me. We have to make right choices in the construction process of our, of our own lives. He's not just going to sit or, or going to build it while we sit back and watch him build it. He wants us to be involved in the process, very involved. I think this is a really important point. You are a builder. If nothing else of your own life, I mean, think about that. And God does not expect you or want you to just sit back and go, oh God, just do it for me. Do it all for me. I can't. How many know God's going to do a lot for us? He absolutely will. But he wants you to take steps of faith. He wants you to make decisions about your own faith, about your own house, your own life. That's why he gave you free will. If he wanted you to be a puppet, he would have made you a puppet. But he didn't do that. He respected you enough, loved you enough to give you a choice. And we have these choices. So we are supposed to be a part of this building process. We need to be very involved. Some of these choices we just covered in the master class. Jesus is the master builder giving us solid rock advice in his master class on how to construct your life. For those of you that have ever built a house, it's an important thing to get a good builder. To not settle for any old carpenter or fly-by company that may offer an amazing deal. Quality is important if your house is going to stand firm in the midst of storms. In uh, 1992, my parents' home was hit by a tornado. And I had been there about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, went back to Brookings, which was really about 70 miles away. And by 6.30, they, I got the call that their place was just, it was a wreck. We had trees there. They had trees that were, um, you know, 80, 50 to 80-year-old cottonwood trees, maybe even 100-year-old, some of them. I don't know, they were huge cottonwood trees. And there was 50 of them, I remember. We used to count them. And, and almost all of them were snapped off like toothpicks. The place was sham in a shambles. The garage was off the house. There was stuff laying all over. The shed was down. There was all sorts of things going on. And, and this particular tornado on June 16, 1992, it was the same one, or, or at least one that was an offshoot of the one, that was an F5 that hit Chandler, Minnesota that, at that same, on that same day at the same time. The devastation was unreal. I mean, we lived several miles from a place that had a lot of large equipment, um, things like road graders, payloaders. They were thrown, I mean, up to a mile away in some cases, like they were little Tonka trucks in a sandbox. It was nuts. We saw straw coming through. It, it actually was sticking out of some of our windows. I, I don't know how straw can move so fastly that it pierces the window, breaks the window, but does not break the window. It goes through it, but doesn't break it. Amazing. We saw, I remember my brother and I pulling a, a two-by-four out of the ground. I think it was my brother, somebody on a tractor. We were pulling a, a two-by-four out of the ground, and it was like 10 feet drilled straight down into the ground with a flat, on the flat side going down. It doesn't make any sense. That kind of power. There was trees that were opened up and there was pieces of tar paper that almost went all the way through the tree and then the tree closed back up. Amazing, amazing power in a tornado. And with all of that devastation, my parents' house stood. Not the garage, but the parent, my parents' house stood. 
it, it, the house had a little twisting, I will say that, but salvageable. It was there. And my mom and my sister, youngest sister, rode out the storm in the basement. When my dad came flying home, he came up over the hill. There was, the, the house was covered in dirt and mud. He, could, he couldn't even see the house from, from about a half mile away, which you could normally see it really well. And he started praying, but they were safe inside. The house was actually still there, and it was intact, and it stood still. But, but really what I want you to understand is the builder of that home had told my dad that he needed to frame the outside walls with two-by-sixes at 12 inches apart instead of the common two-by-fours at 16 inches apart. That was, that was pretty commonly done back then, at least. He said, your house is up on a hill, and it could really catch a lot of wind. And he convinced my dad that the extra time and effort and money was worth it. And I think sometimes back to that, and I think that conversation that my dad and that builder had, I wonder if my sister and mom would be here today if my dad wouldn't have listened to that builder. It, they could have been swallowed up it, just even a half mile away. There was a house that completely exploded. It was gone completely. This was a vicious storm. And I want to parallel here, draw the parallel for you. To follow the advice and instruction of our master builder, Jesus, to listen to the words of his master class, the Sermon on the Mount, is worth the extra time and effort it takes. To take those things and apply them to your life, it's worth it. There are no shortcuts in building a strong house. And there are no shortcuts in constructing a strong life. Hear me, church. There are no shortcuts. The work has to be done, and you must do your part in that process. You are a builder of your own life, whether you want to be or not. To do nothing is to decide that you are unwilling to build upon the rock and is essentially to build on the sand. You yourself are the most important worker on the job site of your life. You are the most important worker. Jesus is the master builder, we know that. But you have to put in the time and effort as well. You have to listen to him. He's given you blueprints. You gotta look at them once in a while and follow them. You know, church attendance is a part of that. Reading the word is a part of that. Praying, fasting, giving, controlling our anger, uh, forgiving, living according to the truths of the Beatitudes, laying down anxiety, prioritizing our lives and setting boundaries, all the things that we've covered in the Sermon on the Mount, they're all a part of that. These are the building materials that you must use to build a strong life. They aren't crooked framing lumber like you get at some of the national chain lumber stores. It's a personal thing with me right now. When you use the building materials that Jesus gives us in this Sermon on the Mount, it's like buying lumber from Circle B in Indianola. It's the best of the best stuff. That one's for you, Pastor Guy. Did he say amen there? I don't know. Did you, <laughs> you did say amen? Good, all right. I'm just gonna be as tough as I can be on this point. You are a builder. Act like one. Act like one. Do the work. Do the work. Put in the time. Put in the effort. Take 
a moment and look at the stinking blueprint he's given us. And it's not stinking, it's awesome. It's so important that you get involved and you realize that you are a builder in your own life. You can't expect, and there's a lot of people that will help you along the way, but you can't expect someone else to build your life for you. Those are your decisions and it's your life. No one's gonna do it for you. They can help, they can give you advice, they can maybe kick you in the rear end if, when you need it, hug you when you need it, love on you when you need it, all those things. That's what the church of God is for. That's what the body of Christ is for, right? but they're not going to build your life for you. They're not gonna do all the work for you. We are all builders, number one. Number two, successful life construction is dependent on submission, not knowledge. That's what we can pull out of the scripture that we just read. Jesus doesn't just say, listen to all of the words I have spoken to you. He says, do them, apply them to your life and live them out. Knowing this stuff isn't enough. You can memorize the Sermon on the Mount, it's not enough. Putting action and being obedient to the Lord's teaching is what matters. I've uh, met people who have memorized whole books of the Bible and can recite them by verse. And when I say that, that doesn't mean they start at the end and can get all the way to the, or start at the beginning and get all the way to the end. They could give you each verse backwards if you wanted. I mean, they have every verse memorized they can do it in order, they can do it all, any way you ask them to, to, to recite it. I've met people like that. It's an amazing thing, I'm jealous of that. I think that's a wonderful thing. But some of those same individuals spent all of their time memorizing and never meditating on its meaning. They really didn't know what it said and didn't apply it to their life. Now I know the word of God doesn't return void, I get that, I totally get that. But you gotta put in the time to meditate. You got to. I've also met people that memorized large portions of scripture who did take the time to meditate and study its meaning, and wow, what a difference. Just hearing and actually doing are two completely different things. Just knowing the truth and actually submitting to it are also two completely different things. It's like being a believer in Christ or a follower. Two different things, right? A hearer of the word and a doer of it, two different things. Submission is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Submission says, okay, Jesus, you spoke these things in your Sermon on the Mount, a lot of them tough. I don't know how many times, church, that after the last 12 weeks of sermons, I've been out there shaking hands and people are like, whoa, that one really got to me today. That one really hit me hard today. That one, that one was tough for me to hear today. And I, I think that's wonderful that we're taking those things in. But understand something, the Sermon on the Mount, it's the basics. The basics will do that to you, won't they? They'll be like, whoa. When you go back to them and you say, man, that is just hard hitting. And it's basic? Yeah. We have got to take those words and submit to them. Not the words I preached, but the words of Christ. The words of Christ within the Sermon on the Mount. Come underneath them, yield to them, accept them, live according to them. 
not just know what he said, but to live according to them. If you do, you're like a very wise builder who built his house on the rock. If we build upon the solid rock of Jesus' teachings in our lives, that we are building will be strong enough to endure the storms of this life. Then Jesus says, if you don't listen to the words I've just spoken to you, if you don't apply them to your life or live them out, you are like a foolish builder who built his house on the sand. If we build upon the sand by not following the teachings of Christ, ignoring what he has said in these last three chapters, then our lives will not be strong enough to endure the storms that will occur in our lives. And Jesus says, not only will your house fall, but great will that fall be. I mean, it'll come down with a boom. To not submit to the master builder and his words is to, de depend, is to depend upon yourself or someone else's words or methods to be successful in your building. Why do we do that? Why is it so easy for us to work in our own efforts or listen to the advice of everyone else except Jesus? Well, I'll try this, I'll try that, I'll try this, I'll try that, I'll try I mean, it's staring us right in the face what we need to do. Lord, free us from the pride that causes us to believe we can accomplish anything on our own. Free us from that pride. I mean, church, we should realize that we are desperate, desperate people. And the only thing to, 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 uh, that, that we, that's going to appease that or, or help us in that, in that desperation, is Jesus. That's it. We can't make it on our own. We're too weak. But with him, we're too strong to let anything wipe us out. It's that big of a contrast. Yes, we must be active builders, but only active in submitting to the plans that Jesus has laid out for us. We must become students of the master builder's blueprints for our lives and trust those plans to carry them out to a T. Submission to what he says, not just knowledge of what he says is the key to successful building. Listening to his words and doing them. Number three, regardless of the foundation you choose, storms will come. In Jesus' words to us about wise and foolish builders, did you notice what they had in common? In talking about the wise builder's house, Jesus said in verse 25a, he says this, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. That was in reference to the wise builder. And talking about the foolish builder's house, Jesus said in verse 27a, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. It didn't matter that whether the, the builder was wise or foolish, the house still had to endure the storms. And I think this could be so revolutionary to some of our thinking. Somewhere in the back of our subconscious minds, we fall into the trap of believing that if we build wisely, if we listen to the words of Christ, if we follow his blueprints, that that means we'll never have to endure a storm. But church, that's not true. Building wisely will keep you from self-inflicted storms. I mean, there's a difference between self-inflicted storms and storms that just happen because we're in this world. They're two different things. Following his blueprint will keep you from self-inflicted storms, but the storms of this life will come either way. They're going to come either way. 
Why is it important for us to understand this? Because if you are under the delusion that living for Jesus eliminates you from having to go through anything tough, then you will lose your faith as those tough situations occur in your life. Jesus doesn't keep you from those storms. He carries you through them. He doesn't give you non-storm status as you live out your life here on earth, but he will be your shield, your shelter, your strong tower, the solid foundation of the house of your life, and he'll be that for you through the most horrific of storms. He'll do it. He'll do it for you. I had a thought while I was writing this sermon, if, if Christians never experience storms, how could we ever make the claims that Jesus can get us through the storm? I mean, what kind of witness would we have if we were not able to display the strength and peace and confidence that we can only display through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the building of our lives on his foundation? We couldn't even display that because, oh, those are those Christians, they don't have storms. Storms will come, and they can be horrific. Some of you are going through storms even right now. Think of Audrey here. It's not been very long since Mike passed away, and it's tough. It's different. Life's changed. When I was at Thanksgiving this, this last uh, couple days, uh, we went up to South Dakota, and I got to be with my siblings, and it was a good time. But one of the things we praise God for is for the 10 years that it's been since my dad died. He died at age 62 in, back in 2011. It was, a, it, was a, it was a train wreck of a storm in my family. It was very difficult. Very difficult. I know some of you are going through that very thing. I know some of you are dealing with storms that, that I possibly couldn't even understand because I've never had to endure those. But I'm here to tell you, follow the blueprint, build your house on the rock of Jesus Christ, listen and do what he says in his Sermon on the Mount, take those words and apply them to your life, build your life, be a part of that building process, build your life, construct your life, and you'll be able to get through any single storm that this world throws at you. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And you know what eventually happens? Those little storms that used to wipe us out, they don't even seem like storms anymore. Like, whoa, what was that? Well, that would have wiped me out 15 years ago. I'd have been an emotional wreck on that one 15 years ago. And now I'm just like, what is that? It's not even a storm. It's a little buzzing fly. It's so important that we understand what Jesus was saying here. James, the half-brother of Jesus, came to the same conclusion in life. That's why he said in James 1, 2 through 8, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What's he saying? He goes, don't have one foot in and one foot out. Don't be just a, list, a hearer of the word. If you're going to connect these two scriptures, don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer. Take this stuff and apply it. Build your life 
on the rock of Jesus Christ. Take what he taught and apply it, hear it, drive it down deep so it becomes part of you. It's second nature to respond the way he's talked to you and the way he's taught us. Your house will experience storms no matter what. So you might as well build on a foundation that's strong, the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ and his words instead of the sand of your own wisdom or the wisdom of man. And if you don't believe that you will experience storms in this life, then I, I challenge you this. Name me a person who has ever lived, no matter how amazingly strong they were in their faith, that was able to completely avoid all storms. There aren't any. Apostle Peter? I would say it was a little bit of a storm when he was hung upside down and nailed to a cross. Apostle Paul? The great men and women of faith throughout church history? Even, or every one of them had to stand strong at some point, but there would have been no need to stand strong if they had never endured a storm. And aren't the storms they endured the very reason we look to them as spiritual heroes in the first place? When your life construction is done, when your life construction is completed upon the rock, you can truly count it all joy when the storms of this life beat against your house. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be full of angst because of the storm. You can sit back in peace and tranquility because you know that your house is going to stand. You know what was fun to talk about with my family over Thanksgiving? The reunion that's going to happen in heaven. You see, when, when you build upon the rock of Jesus, even death itself, which is usually people's worst fear of a family member or a loved one, even that doesn't get a hold on you. You think, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Even that doesn't have to wipe you out. When you build your life, upon the rock of Jesus Christ and you construct according to his blueprints that he's laid out. When we started this series, I began with the last two verses of Matthew 7 and I want to conclude the series with the same two verses. Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes or like their scribes did. Church, the words that the master builder Jesus spoke to us in his master class, his Sermon on the Mount, should cut us to the core. It should convict us and encourage us at the same time. It's actually really quite simple. Will you realize that you are a builder? Will you realize that submission is the key to successful building? Will you accept the fact that storms are going to come? So why not listen to the master builder and follow his blueprint for your life? You can either build upon the sand of your own wisdom or build upon the rock of Jesus Christ, who loves you with an everlasting love and wants nothing more for, for, than for you to be successful in everything that you do. To be strong. To be able to endure those storms that come. And you know, I, I, I gotta say this, that, that songs are they're always pretty powerful to me i anybody relate with that songs just speak things to you and they 
they get down and they, I don't know, when you put it to a melody, sometimes I just remember it a very long time and it gets way down into my spirit. But one of my favorite Christian music groups, um, Big Tent Revival, anybody, they're kind of old now, but I used to like it, Big Tent Revival, a whole lot. They sang a song called Two Sets of Joneses. And I think the lyrics really illustrate what I've been saying today. So do you want to end with a little fun? Are you all right with that today? All right, so I need, I need, I need a couple that's going to volunteer. Brad and Tiffany, thanks for volunteering. Um, <laughs> you come up here. <laughs> and you can come up here, you can stay down there, I'll let it be your choice, whatever you want to do. What do you guys think? They want you up, so it's not your choice, it's their choice, I guess. I need another couple over here. Who's a good couple? What's that? Yeah, uh, can you get up on the platform, Dylan? You got a baby in your hand? We can take your mom and dad instead. Let's take your mom and dad instead over here, Dylan. Come on, Kyle and Didi. You should have been holding the baby, Didi. You would have got out of this one. So I'm going to just kind of go through the lyrics here. And if you want to, you know, use your acting skills to act some of this out, you surely can, okay? Because I know you're really a good actor, Kyle and Brad. You try your best, okay? All right. So the, songs, the, the lyrics of the song go, this here's a song about two sets of Joneses. Rothschild, or Rothschild, Evelyn, Reuben, and Sue. Who's this guy? Rothschild, Evelyn. This here's a song about two sets of Joneses, Rothschild, Evelyn, Reuben, and Sue. And just for discussion through random selection, we've chosen two couples that haven't a clue. All right? That's the lyrics of the song. Rothschild was lucky, lucky, to marry so wealthy. <laughs> Evelyn bought him a house on the beach. Right? Reuben and Sue, they had nothing but Jesus. <laughs> and at night they would pray that he cared for the beach. And the chorus goes, and the rain came down, and it blew the four walls down, and the clouds, they rolled away. Only one, good job, Brad. <laughs> Only one set of Joneses was standing that day. Evelyn's daddy was proud of young Rothschild. He worked the late hours to be number one. <laughs> Just newlyweds, their marriage got rocky. He's flying to Dallas. She's having a son. Nice. Very good. Reuben was holding a Gideon's Bible. Hold your phone there. Gideon went digital. I didn't know if you knew that. but <laughs> Reuben was holding a Gideon's Bible when he screamed, It's a boy! It's a boy! So that everyone heard. And the guys at the factory took a collection. And again... God provided for bills they incurred. And the rains came down, and it blew the four walls down, and the clouds, they rolled away. And there was only one set of Joneses standing that day. So what is, this, what is the point of this story? What am I trying to say? Is your life built on the rock of Christ Jesus or a sandy foundation that you've somehow managed to lay? 
Well, needless to say, Evelyn left her husband. She sued him. She sued him for every penny he had. And I would truly wish that those two would find Jesus before things get worse than they already had. And the rains came down and it blew the four walls down and the clouds, they rolled away. There's two sets of Joneses. Which ones will you be? And this is a wonderful family. You know, Reuben reached out to Rothschilds, and now we got a good deal going on here. That's awesome. Man, when the storms come, I want to be able to stand. I want to be able to stand. I don't want to be wiped out by everything that comes, comes my way. And I know you don't either. I want to pray for you today. And if you just stand to your feet, it would be great. And if you want to receive this prayer, I just want you to lift both hands up in the air. I don't care if it's weird. Just do it anyway. If you're at home, do it in your living room. If you're by yourself, do it. If you're driving the car, listen to this. Keep your hands on the wheel. But Lord Jesus, you see us right now, God. You see this congregation. You see this family of believers. You see this community. Lord, we ask you right now to just begin to teach us like never before. Our eyes are open. Our ears are open. Our hearts are open to receive all that you have for us. God, I pray that you would speak convicting things to us. I I, I, I pray you would speak comforting things to us. I pray, Lord, you would speak words of peace, that you would speak words of comfort, you would, you would give us joy, you would give us happiness, and, Lord, at the same time, that you'd kick us in the rear end when you need to. Lord, I thank you that you can be all of that to us. Lord, we've seen that in your Sermon on the Mount. It's a really good reflection of who you are. God, we take all of that in and we say, just give us more, God. Take us deeper. Let's have more understanding. Help us be self-aware enough, God, to make those adjustments and changes that we need to make. And Lord, for everyone who's got their hands raised, who's got their heart open, who's taking this prayer, receiving this prayer this morning, God, I pray there would be a marked difference as we go forward. Lord, we give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you. And Jesus, we commit to you that we will listen to your voice. We will listen to your word. That we will follow your blueprints laid out in the word of God. We make that the blueprint for our life. We're so thankful to you. Bless your people, God. Send us out of here in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.